Our Old Testament reading this morning is actually from 1 Kings, despite what it says in your insert. It is from 1 Kings, chapter 6, verses 20 to 29. Uh, Part of the story of um, Elisha's confrontation with the prophets of Baal. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. So Ahab, the king, sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, And I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, come, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first. For you are many and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating or he is busy or he is on a journey or perhaps he is sleeping must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. This morning's New Testament reading is from the Gospel according to Luke in the 7th chapter, the opening 10 verses. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. After Jesus had finished all his sayings and the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them. But when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, 
for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I am also a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Tradition tells us that the author of both this, the gospel according to Luke, and the follow-on volume, the book of Acts, was a physician. So I can just imagine the added sense of mystery and wonder on his part as he recounted for his audience stories like this morning of Jesus' healing power. Here, a Gentile with a problem reaches out to Jesus. That in itself is a, a rather remarkable thing, a Gentile reaching out to Jesus. Now, this was a, a fairly unique Gentile at that, it, as a, a member of the Roman military machine who had been sent to occupy the region of Judea to enforce the Pax Romana. He was the sort of person whom the disciples wanted to see defeated and driven from their land. He was the sort of enemy whom those in Jerusalem wanted to see killed in retribution for the violence that had been inflicted upon the Hebrew people during the occupation. And yet, this becomes a personal story, not about who's done what to whom or who wants to hold the reins of power, but rather a very personal story of two men who are suffering, and one extraordinary man with the power to make them both well. A slave who is in the service of a centurion gets sick. We aren't told the exact nature of his illness, but whatever it is, it's severe. His master has pity on his valuable property, and had he not cared for him, or at least the quality of the service that the slave had rendered to the household, there, there wouldn't be any story here. But this centurion was invested enough in this slave, and so he sought help for him, which he could not provide. And that help came in the form of Jesus of whom the centurion had come to know, at least by reputation. And so he makes contact with him to enlist his help. As different as these two men appear to be, they share some things in common. For one thing, the centurion is not the emperor or even the governor, meaning that he is in the chain of command under orders from a superior officer. And though this Gentile may not have been aware of it, the same held true of Jesus, 
who was following the will of his father who had sent him. Secondly, as the Roman soldier is well aware, Jesus and he are both accustomed to issuing orders. Now, when I hear someone observe that Jesus is an order giver, it gives me pause. That certainly isn't the first thing that comes to my mind, at least, when I make a mental list of Jesus' attributes and characteristics. He's a, a rabbi, a teacher, and he's a healer, and he's a compassionate, humble servant, but one who issues orders, and yet, in fact... He certainly is that, too, when the occasion calls for it. When it comes to casting out demons, for example, or when he raises the dead, Jesus issues the most powerful of all orders. And this is what the centurion notes about him, and it is, I think, one of the things that he respects about Jesus as well. And there is something in this awareness that may be a lesson for us as well. There are times to take orders and there are times to give orders. As Christians, we are obliged to take orders from the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we sang this morning, I surrender all. But as followers of Jesus and imitators of our Lord and Savior, there are times when we too need to be ready, willing, and able to give orders. An example of such a situation might be the orders that we give as parents. Without the direction contained therein, our children would be left rudderless. Happier, perhaps, but rudderless. Yes, of course, we want them to be independent, don't we? If they don't achieve a level of autonomy, we'll be witness to the failure-to-launch scenario, which has become increasingly common over the years, wherein the nest doesn't become empty because the fledglings never quite mastered the art of flying. Just this week, we received an interesting book in the mail from a vendor who was showcased at the in-service training that Rhonda's company held for its employees just prior to the graduation of this year's crop of seniors. The book is entitled Teaching Eagles to Soar, and it deals with this phenomena, the consequences that arise when an order giver is absent or derelict, negligent in their duty. In this case, the author is specifically examining the lack of an involved father in the life of his children. The bad news is that this is becoming more and more common in our day and time. Uh, the good news is that other order givers can step in help assume important parts of this role that's been abdicated. Whatever the status of and the relation between a child of any age and their human order givers, the most important is that which exists with God. 
Again, I think the centurion had keen insight into Jesus' power and authority, surpassing that of anyone in the service of Rome. That's why he sent word via the local Jewish emissaries, not to order, but to petition Jesus. And that is just what they did. On behalf of the centurion, they petitioned Jesus. Put another way, the centurion prayed to Jesus. Now that is pretty remarkable. A Gentile turning to Jesus when so many of his own Hebrew brethren had dismissed and rejected him. And not only that, but when Jesus receives word of this request, he makes his way to pay a personal visit. The centurion's prayer had not fallen on deaf ears as had the cries of the followers of Baal in this morning's Old Testament reading. And as if this weren't an extraordinary enough series of events, the story told here in the seventh chapter of the Gospel according to Luke goes on to get even more miraculous. For a follow-up petition comes to Jesus as he is approaching the home of the centurion. You are, no doubt, as I am, a very busy man with very many responsibilities and demands placed upon you. You need not, therefore, trouble yourselves with a personal visit to my home and my slave. We are not worthy. I trust, however, that whatever you would do in person, you can just as well do from afar. If nothing else, over this last couple of years with a global pandemic, people have begun to realize the great multitude of things that can be accomplished at a distance. From telemedicine to electronic learning platforms to video meetings and corporate collaborations, even online worship services. There are all manner of things that most folks thought right, required close proximity, which we have adapted to getting done at a distance. The centurion was among the first to appreciate that the power, authority, and compassion which were resident in Jesus were not limited to his immediate surroundings, but transcended physical space. That continues to be our understanding of his ability to answer our prayers. The Jewish friends of this Gentile officer were the ones who bore his petition to Jesus, just as today we have the agency of the Holy Spirit to carry our prayers to the one who can answer them. Jesus was, we are told, amazed by this Roman's faith. May it continue to inspire all of us. Here was a man who was large and in charge, a fellow who was respected by his cohort of soldiers, by his household, and by his neighbors as well. He was held in high esteem by the citizens he was responsible for overseeing on behalf of the empire, and yet, for all that he had done and for all that he could do, he knew that there were limits 
to his own ability. Some things were beyond his control. How often does this realization dawn on us? In my own case, I'll admit, not often enough. When confronted with a problem, our default response is to try and fix it ourselves. My father, he was an engineer. He was good at math. He had a knack for thinking analytically and being able to fix things. That was his job, to keep the machinery on the assembly line running. I inherited very little of the traits that made him successful in his job, but a part of me wants to be that guy. So I try to fix things that break or to upgrade things that need refreshing. And as I have been reminded of again repeatedly this week, I struggle mightily. The centurion was wise enough to know his own limits and to know precisely where, who to turn to. May we be so wise. May we dispense with our pride and our desire to measure up to some standard. Maybe we put aside our insecurities and whatever else delays or prevents us from acknowledging that we need help. May the example that came from an unlikely and unexpected source, one outside the faith tradition, continue to inspire those of us who are a part of it. May we reach out to Jesus in prayer for all things. The really big life and death things, yes, but also the seemingly less urgent as well. And as we do, may we have the confidence of the centurion that our petitions will be heard and that they will be answered. Answered by one who is not deaf to our prayers, one who, in the words of the psalmist, neither slumbers nor sleeps, but one who is always ready, willing, and able to respond to his children. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God, and amen.